St. Warburg's Derby. So, uh, preaching this evening is uh, Gavin, Gavin Murray. We're continuing our series looking at what it means to live holy, whole lives, what's that look like? And as part of that is around our ethics and our choices and what that's about. And so we've asked Gavin, um, because Gavin and Sally are the two most ethical people I know um, and make me feel very guilty every time I go around to the house. But anyway... Um, We've asked Gavin to come and preach on that. Gavin was a Baptist minister for about 20 years in the south of London. He moved to Derby uh, last summer to set up Just Ice. How many of you heard of Just Ice? Excellent. How many of you have eaten at Just Ice? Right. If you haven't, you need to get there. So Just Ice is the best ice cream you'll find in Derby. Um, And Just Ice is an organization set up to try and help people who are being rescued from human trafficking and to support uh, those who've been rescued from uh, being child soldiers. And uh, they're in the market hall uh, and they serve amazing ice cream. The salted caramel is to die for. Seriously, if you haven't tried, just, just go and have it. Anyway, Gavin is also known as the crying preacher. So can we welcome Gavin to the stage this evening? <laughs> We're going we're gonna to pray. Father God, we thank you for this man. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done in his life. And we thank you for bringing him here to Derby to join in this mad adventure. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing through just ice. And tonight, Lord, as he opens your word to us, we pray that you'll speak into our hearts and minds. Come, Holy Spirit. And use Gavin, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Phil, for that welcome. uh, We should pay Phil. He's such a good marketer of of Just Ice, uh, a massive supporter. So thank you so much. And um, and thank you. Uh, It's a privilege to to bring the message tonight here. Uh, For us, moving from London last summer, such a disconnect, such a change of circumstances and... uh, I can't believe that we've got the sense of community and family that we have here, all in a new church. And a year ago, we'd only just met Phil and Anna uh, in South London at the time. Um, so thank you for, for uh, creating home for us, creating a family. And uh, I know we're all on this journey together, so bless you. It's great to be in a student city as well, because I came to faith in Newcastle, in Geordieland, uh, at the end of my first year at uni. So I uh, got a lot of Uh, good memories of student ministries. Anyway, enough of the bio and all of that. So apart from this crying preacher thing, when I left, I had my leaving service at uh, the church we'd led uh, for 18 years in Morden. Everyone know Morden? Yeah, end of the Northern Line. We like to say the start, but uh, at my leaving service, they they had members of the church, the more relaxed and foolish took a sweepstake to see how long into the sermon I would start crying. How rude. They were surprised I lasted seven minutes. Anyway, my daughter just whispered to me, I reckon three tonight, Dad. Thank you for that vote of confidence. So uh, tonight's passage, we're looking at Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through to, to 21. Uh, I'm reading the NIV, New International Version. Follow it on your pads, your phones, tablets, uh, close your eyes and listen to it, uh, or it'll appear on the screens there as well. So, 
This is God's word to us. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Um, my goal today is not to uh, present to you a list of things by which you can say, yes, I'm living ethically. Um, personally, because I don't think that's possible. Um, none of us are perfect, and uh, such lists only tend to lead us to guilt. I'm, I'm sure if Phil feeling guilty whenever he comes into my house, it's probably because he eats all the chocolate in my house, maybe, but... Anyway, uh, but it's not about a list, but I, my prayer is that God would get hold of our hearts tonight and we'd understand the why uh, of, of ethical living. So uh, what do these things have in common? Clearly misunderstood, pretty ugly, the same difference, the only choice, act naturally. Well, these are, of course, all seriously funny. The oxymorons, things that exist together in a phrase or a sentence, but that actually don't make sense. They're opposites, um, like airline food, <laughs> or maybe short sermon, when I'm preaching anyway. Apologies. Um, so oxymorons, and I came to this thinking about our generation, our the, the times that we're living in. We're, we're such a connected generation, aren't we? We've we, we've got the connectivity that just was never even dreamable 20 years ago. And yet, we're the most connected generation, but at the same time, we are the most disconnected people that have probably ever lived on this planet too. Uh, the title that Phil gave me was The Only Way is Ethics, which in my head I'm saying with a, a Cockney accent and a lisp. Um, apologies if you do have a speech problem. I don't mean to take the mick. It's just the, uh, yeah, the ethics thing. There you go. Um, Mother Teresa, great hero of mine and, and many I know, said, if we have no peace, it is because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. If we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. We need to reconnect all over this planet I've got five reasons why uh, I think we uh, need to live ethically, uh, whatever that ends up looking like. And the first and the biggest is quite simply the fact that Jesus came, uh, as we've read there in Luke 4, this is the beginning of his ministry. It's the first time in Luke's gospel we, we get his, his teaching, if you like. And uh, this wonderful scene unfolds. Uh, before us, uh, in those days in the synagogue, you'd stand to read the scriptures, and then you'd sit down to teach. And I'd do that, and then we'd, you'd listen, you'd be on my every word, wouldn't you? Uh, but I'm not going to do that. Um, 
And he, re- he un- unrolls it down to, to chapter uh, 61, uh, and uh, this section about the Messiah that all the Jewish people were waiting for. And it tells you what he was going to do. Jesus reads it, uh, and then he sits down. What's he going to say? And, and it says that, you know, all the eyes are fastened on him. There's tension in the air. Remember, this is his hometown, remember. I grew up on the Wirral in, in Merseyside, in Hoylake. Some great people came from Hoylake, like Daniel Craig, James Bond. Oh, yes. My brother played rugby with him. <laughs> um, uh, the things you say. Um, so he's gone to his hometown, and yet now he is pretending to be a rabbi in their eyes, this Joseph boy. And he says, Joseph boy, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And then he kicks off. And it's all about the kingdom of God coming. We know Jesus taught more about the kingdom than anything else, than uh, uh, two references to the church in in, uh, the New Testament, sorry, in in the Gospels from Jesus. Uh, But hundreds about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, they're they're one and the same thing. And this kingdom of God, when, when Jesus came to bring it, that's what he came to bring, would be about proclaiming good news to, to the poor, about proclaiming freedom for prisoners, be about supernatural healing, not just healing blind people, but pretty much metaphorical for every type of healing. And Jesus healed everybody who came to him in faith. And then this fifth thing, proclaiming God's favor. So when the kingdom comes, these things happen. Now, the kingdom of God is not a geopolitical entity. You can't say, oh, we're entering it now. And you can't defend it, uh, you know, with an army or anything like that. It isn't a physical place. It's anywhere or any person who surrenders their will to God, where the will of God is done. Every human heart and group and organization that lets God be the boss man, that's where the kingdom of God is. And when Jesus sent out uh, the, the, the 72, he, uh, in Luke chapter 10, he says, go and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God has come. So when people were healed, it was a sign that the kingdom had come. In another, in chapter 11 of Luke, um, he's teaching about, about deliverance, about casting out demons. And he says, you know, if I cast a demon out of someone, the kingdom of God has come upon them. So the kingdom of God changes everything when it comes. Pete Gregg, in his incredible book, Dirty Glory, which I wholeheartedly recommend, says, the cross of Christ must be brought to bear on the systemic strongholds within societies as well as the individual realities of sin. And he also said that uh, for for richer people, we tend to despiritualize, sorry, we tend to spiritualize the gospel at the expense of physical need. But those in physical need need to have those needs dealt with first. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Avatar. It's quite a few years old now, haven't you? Um, if you, if you, if you oh, let's not do that. Anyway, in this film Avatar, uh, there's another planet miles away with another race on it, and humans go to it. And these, we'll call them aliens. They're called the Na'vi people, the really cool, funky, tall people. And, and they have this incredible way of greeting one another. And, and if, we, if you and I were to meet, if Simon and I met on the streets, I'd say, hi, Simon, how are you? And he'd say, I'm fine, how are you, Gab? And we'd 
do that for quite a few minutes. Uh, because I grew up on Merseyside, Sally would comment that um, if we're walking down a street, the later on it is at night or the sort of bigger the man that we're walking past, I'll go into scouse mode or, or just male mode again, all right? It's sort of the, the, the least committed, but, you know, all right, just this little, all right. um, the least effort needed. But the Navi, when they greeted one another, if you've never seen it, it's this wonderful way. They just say, I see you. And then they say back, I see you. Uh, and it's not rushed. It's not, see you. There's this deep soul connection. I, I recognize your existence. I see you there and I know you. You matter in this moment. And I love it. I know in this time-starved culture that uh, it's never going to happen with us, is it? Uh, but meaningful community is about establishing that, isn't it? Those places where we, we recognize one another. Living an ethical life is about saying, I see you. The people that have supplied our t-shirts, our shoes, our food, or whoever it is down the chain of supply, they matter. It's about saying, I'm not going to forget who you are. You're a human being, the same as me. You matter. I see you. So in a world of invisible millions, the kingdom of God and God himself comes to every single person and says, I see you. And in a world of voiceless millions, God says, I hear you. In a world of broken hearts, God says, I love you. And in a world of oppressed and unfairly treated people, God says, I restore you. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. But sometimes we, we lose track of what Jesus came to do. We, we pigeonhole it. We box it down. We say, well, I've, I've said the sinner's prayer. I'm in the kingdom. I've got the ticket to heaven. And I'll just pray that everybody I know gets the same ticket. And then, hey, presto, we're done. We're going. But if we look at what Jesus did and taught, it's more than that. It certainly is that, but it's more than that. It's about justice. And it's about uh, telling people that they matter and making sure they know that. Second reason then um, is that this wonderful gospel that Jesus talked about is one of grace. Absolute grace. Unmerited favor. Favor is a wonderful word. We read it in our uh, reading, didn't we? That uh, the Messiah's job, the kingdom of God, um, is to proclaim the favor of the Lord. Well, if you interviewed most of the 98% of the people that didn't come to church in Derby, they would probably think God was a God of judgment. Because that's, that's what they get from the church, isn't it? And in the public media and all of that, it's not all our fault, is it? But, um, and this public perception is that, that if there is a God, that he's a God of judgment. You know, he's like a bit stroppy and a bit like fed up with everybody and just give me an excuse and I'll zap you. The message we've got is one of favor. It's like incredible, isn't it? Favor. Favor's a good word, isn't it? Phil favors salted caramel. What does that mean? It's his special one. You are God's special one. And you better believe it. You are God's special one. It doesn't stop there. It means a person halfway around the world who's trapped in slavery, oppression, and poverty, 
whose life is destroyed by global warming, which we contribute to. They matter too. God favors them. And so living ethically is about getting that awareness all around us and as far as we can to help people in those places. This gospel of grace is so infectious. We just need to take the lid off and like let it flow. And just as water always seeks out the lowest point, doesn't it? Grace always seeks out the lowest people. And I don't mean that in terms of status. In God's eyes, I mean in the world's eyes. The most broken, the least, the last, and the lost, the most forgettable people in the world's eyes. Grace seeks out those people. And if we don't engage those people, then it's a bit like us getting forgiveness but not forgiving anybody else. You know, stuff you. You know, you. I'm going to hold bitterness. Now, I know that's another big issue there uh, and where there's some, some deep brokenness. I don't want to be flippant about forgiveness there. You, you must hear me on that. But not bringing justice for those who've had injustice is a, is a bit like receiving forgiveness and not being willing to, to pass it on. So we've got to do this. We've got to live to bring justice around. Martin Luther King, incredible Dr. King, said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. You know, you have a great impact, don't you? With social media today, uh, we all have a voice and we can multiply it. Um, so we've got to think about our silence. Thirdly then, looking at our world, there is an incredible need. So the kingdom of God is the first reason I think we should live ethically. Secondly, the gospel of grace. And thirdly, the incredible need that we see around us. Yeah, Pete Grieg said, uh, the tendency of the rich is to spiritualize the gospel. But if you're hungry, you want real bread more than the spiritual variety. My old pastor in Newcastle where I got saved, he was a Glaswegian. And uh, his name was John McSporran. I kid you not, that's his name. Lovely guy, full of grace. He'd spent time at Her Majesty's Pleasure at Berlini Prison. And uh, he was just a man of God. And uh, he used to say, you know, the, the, the poor will receive the gospel when you give it in between two slices of bread. There needs to be a practical element for people to listen to our message. There's this incredible need. And, and different things grab different people. And uh, as Phil said, human trafficking has grabbed us. And I, I won't give you our story. It began about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, in that, God has called us to Derby, not because it's the worst place for human trafficking, just because the time is right for us to be here. And I think Bishop Alastair Redfern, the Bishop of Derby, has probably got something to do with that and praying and, and all of that. It's a privilege to be here at this time and working with some incredible people. So if you don't know anything about human trafficking, it's something that's there, but you don't see it. So in this country, let me tell you about a girl who was trafficked here. She was offered a job from Eastern Europe in, in a London hotel, uh, come for an interview. And she turns up for that interview, having paid money and sold things to get her ticket over there. But of course, it's not an interview. And she's handed underwear. And she's raped by a group of men. And then put to work. Passport taken. 
told that the police are corrupt and that they know where their family lives and they will kill them. Well, if all of this has happened to you, you believe them. You believe them. And they are capable of doing this. They are capable of it. So in this country, this happens. I'm using facts from, a real, from real people's lives. And there was, there's one girl that's been rescued in this country. Well, there's more. But there's one girl, the story just absolutely kind of haunts me. And I apologize for this. She, she kept a record in a diary of, of how many times she was raped at night. And one night, she recorded 119. And it's in this country, in our cities. And we don't see it. And it's hidden. There are thousands of people caught in it. But Hope for Justice rescued her. And her life is being turned around. And so when we give to charities that help that, when we serve, and, and some of you incredible volunteers come and help out in our shop, when you're doing that, when you're giving, when you're praying, you're saying to God, I see them. And you're saying to them, you matter. I care about you. You may not be able to storm into a house and physically rescue each person yourself. But by taking a stand, you can say, I see you. And I don't want anyone else to, have, to, have to go through this. The other thing we stand for as a, as a, as a shop, as a charity, as an organization, is um, child soldiers. It's something that's, that's gripped our hearts. Um, and the second thing on our sort of plan is to establish a charity called Just Kids that will help rescue and rehabilitate child soldiers. And it's just this incredible, incredibly horrendous feature of modern life that children are brought into warfare and, and weaponized. It's the most hideous thing. If you've done the Alpha course and, and seen the, the recent Alpha videos that have been produced, there's uh, a, a book put in, by, uh, shown by, by a guy called Romeo Dallaire, and he was the uh, leader of the UN peacekeeping force in uh, the Rwandan genocide. And they were showing his book, um, Shake Hands with the Devil. Um, I don't believe this general uh, was a Christian at all, or is a Christian, but he certainly had an awareness of, of spirituality and of, and of ethics. And uh, I didn't read that book. I read his next book, which was They Fight Like Soldiers, They Die Like Children. And it absolutely wrecked me. So a typical child soldier's story, um, classic is obviously an African militia, though it happens in every continent of the world, and you'd be surprised at the countries in which it does happen. And, and imagine a 13-year-old boy, um, uh, imagine a militia attacking his village, and this boy witnesses the killing of his parents, the raping of his sister, his older brother being, becoming a captain in the army and, and being a, a lethal killer. And his only way to survive is to become a killer as well, to learn how to shoot these weapons that they're given. 
And that, that's, that's, that's their existence. And in this book, Lieutenant General Dallaire, this haunting chapter in which he describes his own journey as a, he was, he was a military man, but he's gone in as a UN peacekeeper. Obviously, they were armed, and there's elements of peacekeeping. The goal is not to shoot, but as a peacekeeper, you, they do have to engage in firefights from time to time. And he talked about the horror of going into a, a firefight against children. And what that did to his soul. And then coming across a boy, a boy soldier, bleeding out. And being with him in his final moments. And he said, yeah, he's got an AK-47 and rounds of ammo all over him. But he died like a child, scared and alone. And he wrote... Who will remember the thousands of boys and girls who die as soldiers? And I scribbled in my pen, I will, God. I will. Will you? And that's one thing I, I want just kids to do. That we say to God, we are so sorry that this has happened. We remember them. We remember them. And we'll do what we can to make sure it doesn't happen again. There are so many needs in the world. And we can't ignore them. Now, I know we can't deal with every one of them either. Goodness me. You know, the fact that millions don't have water. The fact that people die of malaria. The fact that so many children die at birth and the fact that so many mothers do as well. We could go on. The, the impact of, of global warming, the people groups like the Rohingya driven out of Burma into Bangladesh, that there's so many things. But pick one. Pick one. If we all picked one, hey, that's a heck of a lot of needs being, uh, being uh, attacked, isn't it? So, uh, the kingdom of God, the gospel of grace, looking at the needs of the world, and fourthly, scripture. Wow, if you love your scripture, if scripture's meant anything to you, it's riddled with the story of God restoring broken humanity. God, the creator, coming in, creating a wonderful world. Man, messing it up. God, stepping back in, recreating and restoring humanity as it was broken back to what he fully intended it to do so. So some um, pivotal scriptures, uh, I'll mention them if you're taking notes. Uh, if I dream, you might be taking notes or, um, or just for the tape. So Isaiah 58, uh, incredible passage where uh, God speaks through Isaiah uh, and uh, he's talking about fasting. And uh, he's not saying don't fast, um, but he's saying to Israel, look, your fasts are meaningless because you don't deal with justice. This is the fast I've chosen for you to set the oppressed free, to loosen the bonds of injustice. This is my kind of fast, he says. Justice. So that's, it's his heart. So if we capture God's heart, then we've got to let his heart for justice come into our hearts too. Amos chapter 5 says pretty much the same thing. 
And it's that famous passage that's often quoted, let justice roll and righteousness like a never-ending stream. But it starts that passage with him saying, away from me with your songs. Away, your, your assemblies are a stench to me, he says. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them, but let justice roll on and righteousness like never-ending streams. Proverbs 31.8, you know, be a voice for the voiceless. When we're doing these things, we're saying, I see you, you matter. We're reconnecting this broken world. And then, of course, Jesus picks it up as we've read. Uh, it's very much part of, of his messianic uh, kingdom, very much a part of what he wants to do. And in Luke eleven forty one, it was just, it was my reading this morning. Um, it, I was like, "Whoa, there it is again! Justice pops up." Um, and he, he's discussing with the Pharisees the tithing, and he says to the Pharisees, "You know, you you brag about tithing your dill and your mint. In other words, the tiniest amount of herbs, the most you know, dill and mint, tiny little herbs, aren't they?" And, and you, 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 know, you, you go to the, the lengths of tithing that, of giving a tenth of that back to God, but you neglect justice. And he says, woe to them. It's good at that, doing it. Woe to them. Woe to you. Um, but you've neglected justice, and so, ooh, they were bad. So scripture is filled with references to God's heart being one of restorative justice. Fifthly, it's where we find God. If we, if we let God in to take us down the journey of living ethically and living for justice, then we find God even more there too. In Isaiah 58, it says, If you have compassion on the poor and oppressed, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. So my prayer is that ethics and justice isn't just a, a, a program that we might go through or a checklist, but we move from an agenda to DNA, from programs to principles, from ideas to, to a lifestyle. Mother Teresa said that we would simply live so that others, so that we would live simply so that others would simply live. But there's challenges, guys. It's not easy, is it? Uh, it takes courage. It really does take courage to pray, break my heart for what breaks yours. <sighs> Day to do it. Um, it's <sighs> Let's pray that we all have courage to do that. Time, you, you haven't got um, all the time in the world. You've just got the time that God's given you and the age that you're living in, uh, pick one or two things. So we, had, uh, you know, we have a hero back in, in where we came from in, in Morden, um, and she taught us everything we know about ethics. And uh, you know, she was our go-to person on that. And she used to say, you know, just pick a couple of things and do them well. And then when you've got them, moved on, move on to other things. Don't stop doing them. Just, just keep building, keep adding. And that was really, really helpful. Uh, and, and so be aware of judgment too, of feeling judged. You remember, God favors you. It's not about earning God's respect and love. He loves you, period. And watch out for that sense of, oh, well, I've given up. I don't know what it is, plastic or whatever. Oh, Fred isn't. Um, 
Ooh. Um, so just be aware of that trap too, of judging other people. We're all in this together. together. And, and remember that it's a battle too, because this, this is about the kingdom of God coming. And the enemy, the king of dark, the prince of darkness, doesn't like letting go of people he has in, in oppression. So remember it's a battle. Put on your armor of God and be wise to that. Stay close to God. Worship and pray as often as you can. And then remember that it's a journey. And you don't know where it's going to lead, but it's like taking one step after the other. Do you remember, if you've read Psalm 23 lately, do you remember there's this bit in it at the beginning that says, and he guides me in paths of righteousness. Yeah? What does that look like? What does righteousness look like? It just means right living. And we're able to live right because of the grace of God. But I think he guides us to live right. Sounds like the only way is ethics, really, isn't it? He guides me in these ways. So I pray that you would hear God guiding you about the way you live your life. And for all of us, those issues are going to be different. So let me finish with this. What's on your heart? What's your holy discontent, the thing that makes you angry, the thing that gets you riled, the thing that you're almost scared about taking issue with because you don't know where it'll lead with you? What is your thing? Maybe what, you've, what have you heard tonight? What have you read in the press in the past week, year? What have you put on your shelf so, for about eight years, I had child soldiers on the shelf. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do something about that one day. What's on your shelf? Is God saying, bring it down? Is God saying, let's run with this? And then one caveat, I'm of that pioneering personality. So that, you know, naturally, we've gone and started something. You may not be that personality. So you may not be a starter, but you might be a joiner. So remember that. Don't think, oh, I can't do what they've done. I could never start something. Well, this world needs starters, pioneers, and, and settlers. Apostles and managers. You know, we need all the personalities together. So just bear in mind how God's made you and what you've got in your hand. Amen? 